What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Sure. Today, we are talking about Season 2, Episode 17, Playing God. My goodness, myself in my ears is way too loud today. How's it going, Mike? That's usually my experience, but I've uh, honed it in. <laughs> Keith, I was watching the episode this morning and realized mm -hmm. at the 25-minute mark, which theoretically is actually where the episode starts, but mm. it's also where Mike watches Deep Space Nine starts this week because <laughs> I did not hit record. I just talked to literally no one <laughs> for 25 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> and then it was like, should like, I go hey back guys. and start over? And I was like, hell no. No, there's, there's no time. There's no time we had to hurry up and record. Keith, let me uh, ask you, are you hearing a clicking popping on my sound, on my side? No, okay. it's not fine. So it's probably not recording it, and it's probably just my the de, the, not, the lack of delay on my side. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, boy, now that is an assumption we are going to regret later, mm -hmm. uh, like every one of our assumptions. But uh, but yeah, okay. Well, but your computer's back because uh, yesterday we recorded uh, Keith and my no, what is it? K and M Geekling. Mm -hmm. What the hell's the show called? Uh, and your uh, your computer had fried. My computer had fried, back. but the laptop worked. Your computer didn't blow up. Your frames were mostly available, and it's a miracle. It was a Christmas miracle. While we talked about uh, your favorite Christmas movies, and I tolerated it. It so, dropped. Uh, it dropped literally as late Monday as possible because it was Tuesday. <laughs> yes, Tuesday is technically very Tuesday, late Monday. Very late Monday. <laughs> very late Monday. Yes. Well, they. I think that explains a lot about us. So, uh, -huh. uh yeah, so this is uh this is an episode we are going to discuss. But before uh, we do, but, Keith, I should say yeah. the following. I think this is important in fact. Uh do you know who gets us? There's, who does a, there, get there's us? a small group of people who understand that it's usually mm. an S show. Uh somebody's computer's going to melt, someone's going to forget to hit record, mm -hmm. someone's going to forget to put their face on it so it's just a smiling picture as the audio plays. And that's our patrons, Keith. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you say who who are the lucky, the, the few, the proud, the fiscally responsible, irresponsible? Uh, I was gonna say like I, I few hundred percent true. Uh -huh. Proud, I don't know about that. Strictly responsible, definitely not true. So we have descending <laughs> orders of truthfulness in what you just said, uh, but we do have no descending orders of gratitude to Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, Cloud Lover 69, Jason Moe, Andrew Hayes, Jorge Navoa, The Mysterious Anne and the Mysterious, Worf's Boot Shivs, CRM Productions, Charles Babbage, At Grim Toys, Delusions at Noon, and Eric Wilson. You can join them at patreon.com slash K-N-M, spell out that and, and you can get the incredible bonus features, such as the last 15 minutes of Mike watching Deep Space Nine. <laughs> that is what you are paying the big bucks for. Uh, I'd pay the big bucks for seeing Mike just sitting on the floor talking to himself because it's not recording. Because uh, I feel like that is probably a better encapsulation of what's really going on in Mike's head. Mm. That's true. Let's talk about what was going on in my head, at least, in 1994. Yeah, and when that, did this air? 
this aired uh, Playing God aired on February 27th, 1994. The uh, top song continued to be I Can't Wait to Hear It. Let's hear a little Celine, The Power of Love, Mike. Sometimes I am frightened, but I'm ready tonight for the power of love. And we're going to need a clip from uh, the top movie, which once again uh, took over. It took a week off, but it's back because that happened back in the 90s. Ace Ventura is back. Uh, Guano. Wait, no, wait, which one? (laughs) The first one? (laughs) The first one. Guano was your best quote. (laughs) The second one is about batshit, which is guano. That's Mm -hmm. I thought it was pretty deep. Uh, The first one I'm going to give you... uh, Laces out. Uh huh. Okay. Thanks. Thanks very much. Uh, I was hoping for a cameo by Dan Marino, but uh, no such luck. All right. Uh, well, if we weren't, if we, let's say we had already seen Ace Ventura, and uh, we had already listened to the Power of Love by Celine Dion, how else could we have spent our time waiting for Deep Space Nine to air? Well, Keith, the Winter Olympics. I'm going. I'm going to Saturday. There's not as much good stuff listed on TV Tango, which is the website I look at on Sundays. So I'm going to go for those of you who are watching in the Saturday market. Mm. Um, we have some cool stuff, Keith, because I know you've uh, you've dabbled in uh, writing a little bit about uh, Murder, She Wrote. You wrote a musical about that. I did, and now yep. it's Murder, She Dead. Yeah. Uh, if, if you are even remotely interested in Murder, She Wrote, which I hope you are, there's a channel, this uh, creator, Pushing Up Roses, and she just does uh, dissections of Murder, She Wrote episodes. It is... Chef's kiss. Uh, anyway, but one of my faves outside of Murder She Wrote is Columbo, Keith, and there was a Columbo ah. movie on ABC on this date, which I love. Which led right into a new episode of The Commish, which you know I loved. So I was probably wow. tuned to ABC that day on CBS. There was the Winter Olympics, so I probably was watching that. Uh, we had my favorite Fox block, Cops, Cops, America's Most Wanted, Cops over on Fox. Uh, and Sunday yep. Night at the Movies, Keith, I love it. It's so weird because one of my great jokes that was not captured on Mike Watch's Deep Space Nine is when uh. the little proto-universe attaches itself to the ship. I I, I, I quoted, it's not Atuma. Um It's not Atuma. And guess what was on NBC at 8 o'clock, Keith? Uh, twins? Kindergarten Cop. Kindergarten Cop. Oh, okay. Which is crazy. That That showed up twice today. I don't know what that means. Uh, probably nothing, but there you have it. Keith, that's what's the one on wait, TV. Go ahead. Wait, no, it's it's not Kindergarten Cop. It's not the Duma. It's the one where he gets pregnant. Which is twins. No, but it's not the Duma is Kindergarten Cop, because I think one of the kids is like, it's a Tomar. Let's look it. I'll look it up while you talk. It's not the Duma. All right. Well, uh, so now that we've got. Ladies and gentlemen, just a quick fact check. Uh, this just mm. in from the news desk. Mike was right. Oh, Okay. We have a bumper for Mike was right somewhere, but I think it's from uh, from the other podcast. All right, so uh, in the hard news this week, uh, <laughs> that'll do. That'll do. Oh, that will. That that indeed will do. So uh, in the weekly world news, um, this is ghoulish. We found out that the a Challenger astronaut is found alive on a tiny island in the Bahamas. That is ghoulish. Uh, and <laughs> that, oof. So usually funny, this one is like, ooh, really? 
uh, even 12 years later, uh, or no, no, only eight years later. Oh my God, math. Yeah, math. That's crazy. Uh, you know, for those of us who are old enough to remember that, uh, I am. You know, like a tra- like Elvis spotted alive, uh, uh, the, what do you call him? The Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot spotted at a Denny's. Those are all good. But like a dead astronaut that blew up in a national traumatic disaster that a couple years ago. freaking watched live in school? That feels like a rough one. Must have been sweeps weeks over at the uh, Weekly Ooh. World News. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, for uh, for the youngins out there, uh, on on Challenger, which of course exploded, they had a teacher on the shuttle. Uh, it was the first civilian to go up, and she was a teacher. And so it was a tie-in with a lot of school stuff. So a lot of us watched the launch live in our classrooms mm-hmm. uh, and had to watch that take fold. I was six years old, and I had to watch that thing live. So, uh, yeah, I remember that well. And I, I, I wouldn't have used that one weekly world news normally so responsible Mm -hmm. and normally Mm -hmm. so uh hard-hitting uh all right so let's talk about this episode playing god it was directed by david livingston who last directed rivals it has a teleplay by jim trombetta michael pillar and jose molina this is his only trek and he was uncredited with a story by jim trombetta so let's do some trivial trivia. We got I, I got some fun loaded up for this. I can't wait. Uh, unfortunately, because Mike's running out. Oh right, do a bumper with trivial trivia. Bling. Yeah, forgot we had a bumper. All right, buddy. Uh, all right. So uh, first off, we see it, uh, Cisco and Dax playing a chess game, mm-hmm. and uh, if you look at the board really carefully, you can see that they're actually playing the very famous Donnelly Byrne versus Bobby Fischer game from nineteen. Oh, that's a nice little Easter egg. Uh, so uh, somebody a thought to do that and put in those famous moves, and then somebody caught it. All of that is impressive. Uh, also in this episode, we see Richard Poe making his first appearance as Galt Avec. Uh, with no fanfare, we don't even know what his name is, but Galt Avec is going to become very important, and we will see plenty more on Deep Space Nine, also on Next Generation and Voyager. He will show up. So uh, Richard Poe did such a good job in that one little scene. They're like, this is going to be a major goal. And uh, lastly, because I think this is the one that I really enjoyed, Jeffrey Blake, uh, who plays the young guy, previously starred with Terry Farrell in the series Paper Dolls, where he played a love interest. And uh, we don't have a clip, but we do have a photo that will blow your friggin' mind. Michael, there is Terry Farrell with some full talent 80s hair. Look at that. She was. They were like, "Let's blow it out," and she was like, "Yeah, sure, do whatever." And then she was like, "Oh boy, that's uh... no, blow it out." Oh no, I thought you said blow it up because that's what we did. Uh, amazing, interesting. The the series Paper Dolls only lasted for thirteen episodes, but did you know that Jonathan Frakes Riker did eleven of those thirteen episodes no. on the show? So it's basically. A, uh, a Star Trek prequel, because that happened before either Deep Space Nine or The Next Generation. I believe it was uh, 83 or 84. 
something in that world. Mike, what do you have from the Deep Space Nine companion? Star. Oh, hold on, let me get some reverb up in this bitch. Star, Star Trek, Trek Deep Space Nine companion. Terry D. Edwards with Paul Amblah. <laughs> wow, that, you know what? I'm sorry, buddy. Now you have to sing it every <laughs> single week. Uh, Keith, you can tell they didn't love the episode because it's only two pages. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a couple of things. You know, it was the proto-universe storyline that fascinated Trombetta, but because it was considered abstract, that part of the episode became secondary, he comments. And that, he felt, robbed the story of its emotional balance. Though it was obvious to anyone familiar with basic Star Trek philosophy that the crew couldn't possibly destroy a sub-universe that contained life, Trompetta says he can understand if people didn't feel the ethical problem on an emotional level. It was a very difficult show, says Iris Stephen Bear. When the tech premise that Trombetta brought in proved problematic, a, sec- a secession of staff writers struggled valiantly, reshaping the story, until Michael Piller took the final pass at the teleplay. It was Piller, according to Trombetta, who asked that the emphasis sh- shift to the Trill Initiate storyline, which allowed for the revelation of several titillating details about Dax's personal life, including her fondness for workouts with beefy alien wrestlers. <laughs> I think Dax has a pretty healthy libido, smiles the episode's director, David Livingston. Keith, the next passage I highlighted because it shows so the direct opposite between men and women. You ready? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think Dax has a pretty healthy libido, smiles episode's director, David Livingston. When Arjun came to her door, I wanted her to look as sexy as possible. I wanted her to be a knockout, and she did look pretty spectacular. The choice of putting the science officer in a towel was calculated. The audience is thinking, what's she doing with this guy, says Livingston. Well, she was working out with him, Winky. Okay, now let's see what Terry Farrell had to say. Yeah, I'd be very curious to see what Terry has to say about that. Dax is trying to shock Arjun into trusting her, explains Terry Farrell. Her job is to shock him into being himself because he's not ready to become a host. She even leads him to believe that she slept with this wrestler, but she didn't. She's just playing with Arjun's head. Hmm, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a, a very yeah. calculated, insightful actress decision versus uh-huh. let's make, put her in a towel. Uh, <laughs> Dax's choice of drinks in this case, a black hole, is also calculated, says Farrell. Although Dax seems to be genuinely, does genuinely like them. I have a feeling they're very alcoholic, Farrell laughs. In the first version of the script, she requested a Bloody Mary. But the change clearly reflects the desire to create the greatest response in poor Arjun. It's funny. I took a black hole as a hangover cure. Mm. Well, she has a different Either way. Yeah, One of director well, Livingston's favorite elements of the episode resulted in some extra attention being paid to what might otherwise be a throwaway detail. I loved the voles, he says. I wanted to see those suckers. I wanted to shoot them up close. Initially, the script was written so that we didn't see them as they scurried about. But I said, no, we've got to see them. So Michael Westmer designed this wonderful little creature, and I shot big close-ups. And then finally... The episode features a second appearance after Melora by actor Ron Taylor as the opera-loving host of the station's Klingon restaurant and an appearance by Richard Poe as an annoying Cardassian officer who has no useful information on dealing with voles. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. There you go. Thank you. I, you know, I'm, what I'm impressed about is the difference between you and me. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like keeping it like mint condition and perfect, you actually are the highlighting passages yeah. in the book as a, as a true reference guide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. Well, I like I, it. I'm trying to guess like what you're going to talk about, and then highlight things that I think might be like little extra tidbits. It's uh, I th- well, it's, it's a collaborative so far, art so form. Good. Keith. Collaborative uh, art form, so collaborative. 
So uh, speaking of collaborating, what was going on in The Next Generation in the other Star Trek world? Of course, the episode was The Eye of the Beholder, mm. where uh, a lieutenant commits suicide to figure out what's going on with that. And uh, Worf and Troy might be doing it. Let so do that's it. a, uh, uh, yeah, that is, season seven of Next Gen is such a mystery to me because season six was so good. It was just like top to bottom, like banger after another. And season seven had some like some really bad episodes and some episodes that I completely don't remember. And this is one of them. Like I, I remember the Wharf Troy thing, but like I was like, wait, what happened? There's a and I, I had to look at pictures. I'm like, oh, I've I've seen this episode. Like I've seen every episode of Next Gen at least four times. Uh, but this one was just one that dropped off for me. So there you go. So the guest stars on Deep Space Nine were Jeffrey Blake as Arjun, Ron Taylor as the Klingon chef, and of course Richard Poe as Gull Evek. So uh, Mike, what do you say we hop into the uh, screening room and discuss playing God? I love it. I can't wait to do it. Keith, I have to say before we start, I just got a, a notification that we have a new YouTube subscriber, which, you know, I usually don't announce on the show, but uh, this person's handle is absolutely amazing. I just so I just got an email that pops through. It says, Chesterfield St. Grumpleshire has subscribed to you on YouTube. <laughs> That's a great handle. Welcome, Chesterfield. Chesterfield St. Chesterford St. Grumpleshire. St. Grumpleshire. Wow. I mean, it, that is both a good handle and a, a definitely what I'm going to name my next cat. <laughs> 100%. Yes. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Okay, so here we are in the teaser, and uh, Bashir and a Trill Dude are getting off the runabout discussing Dex. The Trill Dude is up for joining and is going to be tested by Dex. He's scared of her because Dex has traditionally washed out a lot of initiates, and apparently they have eliminated more than 50 in the last 200 years. Uh, so Dex has been doing this for a while. They uh, they head to Quarks to meet Dax. Uh, Dax isn't in bed. Nah, uh she's, uh, she's up gambling with a bunch of Ferengis. But we also get some numbers about Trills. And I think this is sort of important. Yeah, really Canon. good. Let, let me see if I remember, in fact. Okay. I believe there are 300 selected initiates for every five. No, the other way around. 5,000 initiates for only 300 hosts. Well done. Yeah. Uh, and if you've uh, if if you're if you're doing the math in your head, it's six percent of the initiates get the worm. So um, yeah, very very tough. So uh, Arjun, the candidate, is shocked to discover Dax at the Tongo table gambling with a bunch of Ferengi. The Tongo table, which I now own mm -hmm. in Playmate scale, you can check it out and look at my Star Trek toys from Dazbot Toys. They make an amazing Tongo table, and now you can uh, see it in action in this episode. Dax teases Arjun for being stuffy and not knowing how to play Tongo and takes him to his quarters. And that is our teaser. So I don't know. That, that, the stakes really high so far. Mm -hmm. So in Act 1, 
The, uh, the next morning, Arjun arrives at Dax's quarters to be greeted by her Tinder date. She's still in the shower, and she arrives in a towel and teases him about being early. Uh, yeah, so uh, we, we mentioned this scene in the, uh, in the information from the book. Uh, yeah, the, the psychological mind games that Dax is playing with this guy. Although, hold on. I hate to do this to you, Terry. I know what you're, I know that you were trying to make it not seem like you were just, you know, casually banging this beefy alien. But if I'm not mistaken, Keith, and I don't think I am because I watched it like half an hour ago. Uh huh. Isn't her first line, oh, you're not supposed to be here till next week? Not next week. Uh, or tomorrow or whatever. Meaning that no. she didn't expect him to come that morning. Which means she couldn't no, 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 have pre-planned this. No, she met him the, the night before, remember? Oh, you're right. Okay. She, he, he was just a little bit early for the appointment. But uh, well, it, it, the thing that I wonder about, right? So if, if Dax's goal is to do this like psychological warfare and shake this guy up, was she already planning that by, being, by playing Tongo that night? Because um, she sort of made the assumption that he was going to be uptight mm-hmm. and need to be broken up a little bit. So I, I bet that there was an element of that that was performative well, as well. Yeah, and it, and they make it clear that Curzon was that way too. So that could very well have been the Curzon influence kind of mm-hmm. help making her want to F with him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and honestly, whether or not she was banging this dude, mm-hmm. right – I think that in in a weird way is a little bit 90s influenced not from like the horniness of it right mm-hmm. but from the like why why shouldn't she be banging that dude right yeah like who cares yeah. like she's she's single mm-hmm. <laughs> like and and we know that Dax is somebody who you know we've established as a character Dax gets around she dates she she's interested in new people and new stuff and she's single and why the heck not um so, uh, but I, but I do like the sort of psychological warfare of it all. Um, she, uh, says, she does say an interesting thing in here that it takes her longer to get ready as a female mm-hmm. and asks Arjun to order her a black hole, which I took as a hangover cure, but either way, um, and she was wrestling with the dude from before. He's super uptight. She's super casual. Um, we, that dynamic is very clear. Her quarters are awesome. Her quarters are great. I love also that little like triangle glass like prop, that practical prop there. I don't even know what the hell it is, but it's cool as hell. Cool as hell, the whole thing. I I would love to have quarters like that. If I had the money, I'd make my basement like that. That'd be really cool. Uh, so in ops, Chief O'Brien and Kira are crawling around in the tubes hunting for Cardassian voles, essentially rats. They're spreading everywhere and chewing through the circuitry. But, Cisco, but now, but I guess because it's their mating season, is this still the yeah, first year on Deep Space Nine? It's the, yeah, I guess it must be right, right? Because like, I, I, I think what they were saying was that as they're expanding, because the station's so freaking huge mm-hmm. that a lot of it is empty. So as they're expanding into their territory, they're starting to uh, run around. So Keith, I have an insight that's not in the companion, and I didn't hear it in your notes. But when we get to the screenshot here, this is it. So. Recently, I helped my mom install a bidet, as I've spoken many times about in her house, but 
I had to get a flexible hose because she has a, her supply line from her pipe to her toilet is a straight little tubey tube that is that. What Cisco oh. is holding here, the practical effect here is a supply line for a toilet. And that's what they're using as their vol. That pipe. makes perfect sense. Yep. Makes perfect sense. I, you know, that's how you save money on a show. Uh, Cisco reminds them to use stun and not kill the voles. Because uh, that's the Federation. It's nice. His response Dax, to that, his, look at his face. Just what a choice. He's delighted. He's delighted by that toilet tank thing. Um, Dax and Arjun enter and meet Cisco. We got a great shot of butts. So many butts. <laughs> All the butts. David Livingston was on a dry spell before he ever he <laughs> did this episode. We have many lingering this, shots of butts. After the butt screenshot, these two responses are very creepy. <laughs> Ben's leering. That's, He's like, what do you think of these butts? Yeah, like those. Do you like butts? That, guy's we, like, that guy clearly does not like butts. <laughs> we have all kinds of butts for you. I mean, at, at least it was, it was all, like a menu of butts, not mm -hmm. just one single butt. Oh, boy. <laughs> Cisco reinforces that Dax is a scary judge. But Jedzia says, nah, that was Curzon, not me. Then she shoots a vole and hands it to Arjun. Later that day, Dax and Arjun zoom through the wormhole in a runabout. His shoulder pads look ridiculous. <laughs> Are there, I hope you got a shot from the side. Because uh, they're all bunched up. <laughs> yeah. Is he wearing somebody else's costume? Because B, it's, B like, Arthur's? It's, it's like his shoulder pads up like this. <laughs> Looks like B. Arthur. Okay, so uh, before Mike dropped out, I believe we were making fun of those ridiculous yes, shoulder pads that were so. riding up. Uh, I, you could you could lose an eye that way with those ridiculous shoulder pads. I don't like. It, it seems like it just didn't fit him at all once he sat down. Um, didn't really fit him standing up either, to be honest. No, did they did they recast somebody like right the last <laughs> second, or was that just not their day? Uh, building up a ridiculous initiate suit. Uh, anyway, so we find out that Jadzia's evaluator, when she was in this position, was actually Curzon. Uh, and she says, "Relax, I'm not going to make this hard on you." You'd think that would have been a a conflict of interest, right? You shouldn't be adjudicating your a potential. Well, I, I don't think... Oh, I guess with, the, with only 6%, I guess everybody's a potential, right? Yeah. Well, everybody's a potential, and, and at that point, Curzon wasn't dying, so he wasn't up that he wasn't up that year. Right. Um. So that wasn't one of those... It, look, it's always a possibility, but it's not like he was like... They're not interviewing to be themselves, right? They're just interviewing people in general. Um. But we also find out in here that Curzon, Curzon actually washed Jadzia out, specifically. Mm -hmm. um, so that's interesting. Then they run into something. It's a subspace pocket, and it's stuck on their nacelle. Not a Tuma. It's not the Tuma. Back in the station, O'Brien and Kira try to keep... Oh, wait, no. Uh, back in the station, O'Brien and Kira keep trying to figure out how to get rid of the voles quark arrives with a dead vole complaining and kira is not hearing it kira has no time for quark right now mm -mm. uh he shows off a sonic lightsaber and of course quark is susceptible to it you mean a flashlight <clears throat> yes the, the flashlight yes he flashes a flashlight at quark 
uh, and almost kills him. Uh, nobody cares. Yeah. Dax and uh, Arjun then arrive back through the wormhole asking for help with their subspace seaweed. They got some goo on their nacelle. Uh, but we don't know what's going on with it. But uh, we've figured, like, ah, oh, that doesn't, let's not pay any attention to that. And they head to the Klingon restaurant where they are serenaded once more with Klingon music. Dax sings along and Arjun looks uncomfortable. He also doesn't like Klingon food. Uh, I also. Which is also like he's, a, so he doesn't like Klingon food, but that's apparently like she's. She's like, oh, you shouldn't try to impress me. <laughs> What's funny is this whole episode's about like not trying to like please your driving instructor, but at the same time, she, he doesn't really do anything that is like blatantly bad. He's just like no, he doesn't trying really hard and really smart, and <laughs> he's just like a good dude. Uh, well, however, look at that screenshot. He is wearing a ridiculous <laughs> deep V and a Sweeney Todd haircut. Uh, so something is wrong. Something is very yeah, wrong in that whole fair. situation yeah. there. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think talking, uh, we'll definitely talk through their motivations and dynamics there. Cause I, I think there's something interesting in this story. It, it doesn't show up on screen, but the, the idea they're going for, I think there's something there. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, uh, we learn that he was pressured into joining by his father. Which is a great uh, tag team from last week when we kind of had that storyline with Jake. I liked that. Mm -hmm. Right. So sort of the opposite of mm -hmm. what Cisco did. And certainly a red flag for, uh, for Jadzia here in adjudicating him. Uh, it's clear he doesn't know who, uh, what he wants or who he is. And he hopes a symbiote will give him some ideas. Um, so all of that seems pretty disqualifying <laughs> for... Uh, for joining based on the criteria that we're talking about. Um, O'Brien then zooms with Golovec about the Vols, and he's not helpful. No. Uh, but I, I love their view screen. The view screen is super cool. I, I don't know it's what the tech so cool. is, but it's rad. I also love that they just friggin' hang up on him, which is the best. They hang up on him. The screen disappears. I've talked about it many times. I love it. It's cool. Very, very cool. Um, I don't know about the aspect ratio. If you're watching a movie on that thing, you're yeah. going to get you can play Mario Kart. Crop. be kind of cool, though. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, so uh, Cisco, uh, then Dax and Cisco are playing chess. Cisco can already tell that the initiate is flaming out. Uh, she says he doesn't bring anything to the host. And Cisco encourages her to confront him. She doesn't want to do that because that's what Curzon did to her. Um, and we really get a sense of how resentful she is of Curzon and how Curzon treated her at this stage. Uh, later in the science lab, a vole messes up the containment field and the seaweed does a lot of glowing. Uh, but we're in Act 3 and have no idea what's happening. Mm -hmm. So uh, in the room, Cisco is pissed. The seaweed might be dangerous. And he's like, you know what? Fuck the voles. Phasers to kill. Um, so, you know, that lasted, didn't last very long. Arjun realizes he messed up and tries to say, no, 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 really, I have goals. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <And> she... <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and she calls him on just telling her what she wants to hear. She says she's worried that he's not preparing himself for being joyed. 
joint. He studied for all the tests, but doesn't have any actual drive. He's super pissed and turns on Dax. He says she's the one below standards and says he knows Curzon tried to wash her out. Uh, yeah, that didn't go well. No, he, he his temper wasn't manned properly. No. Uh, so later, Dax says the goo is expanding, and it's actually a proto-universe. It's growing, growing, and it's going to obliterate not just the station, but the entire system. It's yeah. a freaking universe. It's going to blow up the entire Federation. Which is a big detail to drop 38 minutes into a, or 36 minutes into a 45 minute episode. And everybody's response to it is Cisco in that screenshot. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, Cisco's like, give me an hour. They're like, every thir- every 65 seconds, it it, it 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 expands. He's like, give me an hour. <laughs> they have three hours before <laughs> it expands again. But they uh, they decide they're going to squish it uh, and, and squish the proto-universe. All of this, just take it very nonchalantly. Yeah. Uh, but the, the more importantly, we have to get to Arjun here. Yeah, he's drinking blue. He's in he's in Quarks. I believe that would be Romulan Ale. He is uh, getting drunk. Mm-hmm. He's playing Quark drunk. Says, My favorite thing, he's playing drunk. Playing drunk. Playing drunk, which he immediately stops once Dax gets there. Mm-hmm. So he, so w- was he playing drunk for, for Quark's benefit? I don't know. Quark says, yeah, just go bang one out in the hollow suite. And uh, he says, Dax blew up my life. Quark then tells a story about working his way up as an apprentice on the fast track to success. Then he banged it out with the boss's sister and got fired. That was awesome. The rule of acquisition, don't bang the boss's sister. That was funny. It was It was funny. And I also really loved, like, there's supposed to be some, like, uh, uplifting story about, but then I overcame it. And I have this bar. I was like, now nah, you're screwed. Yeah. yeah. You get one shot. And now you're going to be miserable like I am. That's very uh, quirk. I, I loved it. Um, welcome to misery. So we go back to the science lab, and Dax says so much technobabble, it actually literally triggered my Alexa to say <laughs> technobabble herself. This is why you shouldn't set your prompt to computer and then watch That's Star funny. Trek. It happened twice this That's episode. <laughs> I have no idea. What she's working on, what Dax is working on, but there's a problem. Uh, she's found indications of life in the proto-universe. Again, this seems like a really interesting story. I would have loved it had been part of the episode. Uh, Act 4 begins, and it turns out that time is moving faster in the proto-universe. And there has been time for a species to have evolved in the last few Yeah, he's like, few millions hours. of years could have passed in the last hour. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a really interesting concept too, right? Yeah, time doesn't. No shit. Uh, already in this, in two seasons in, think about the times we've found like enormous life existence changing revelations about time, space, existence, and all, and we're, that we casually toss off as like, eh. yeah, eh. And it's such an interesting story. There, there actually is a great episode of Voyager, which does actually do a good episode about uh, time operating at different speed um, in, in a different place, um, which I thought was fantastic. Definitely um, wor- worth a watch. I forget what it's called. But um, anyway, uh, but that's not what we're doing here. They, uh, 
they decide now, now we can't squish it in the containment field uh, because there's life in there, but it's going to blow up the lab when it expands. And it does. It doesn't just blow up the lab. It blows two giant holes in the hull of the station. Again, uh, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, at least Kira, <laughs> Kira seems to be playing the stakes a little bit. I will say. Yeah, Kira's Kira's like, uh, who cares? Yeah. Just squish them. <laughs> squish them like ants. It's us or them. It's us or them. And Odo's Odo is like, hell no, I don't step on ants. Which oh. I which. Odo was the I only like, person who could deliver the line the way he did, though. That was like because he's like we don't. He's like I don't just like casually take for granted a new species. He's like just because we don't understand it, you know. That's a very Odo kind of thing. To obviously, it's from personal experience. We get it. We get it. We get it. Uh, it's, it's a good, it's a good exchange. It's just very brief, very shoehorned, and uh, eh, it's almost worked. It's yeah, boy. Uh, so Cisco is forced to make a giant ethical decision that affects either an entire civilization or blows up his entire quadrant and anyone who he has ever known or loved. No biggie. If only something uh, could take his mind off it, Keith. Like as if his son was banging a stripper. Yeah, right. But uh, but but I just have to point out. But before we get to the banging the stripper part, um. Wouldn't uh, let's say he's he's making a decision that might blow up the entire quadrant. Maybe like phone a friend. Maybe like talk to Starfleet. No, no, no. Uh, he's he's got to take a walk. I'm just gonna take a like. I feel like this is kind of a if you're contemplating blowing up your quadrant, you maybe ought to talk to somebody. Uh, well, but Jake. no, he's gonna go talk to Jake. He uh, heads to his quarters and finds Jake working on a giant laptop. <laughs> his MacBook is big. His Mac, well, it's a 1994. They're yeah, pretty true. big. The compact, Presario. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's a USB C in the back of that. Yeah. But, uh, and uh, Jake accidentally says he's full on in love with a Dabo girl and wants to invite her to dinner. And Cisco, very understandably, wants to know how old is this Dabo girl? Uh, because Jake is 14. Mm-hmm kids uh but so, he knows how much game jake has because it turns out jake has been tutoring a dabo girl but well, but he they but, mentioned that before yeah yeah but ben doesn't like jump to the the expectation that that's the girl he has a crush on so for all ben knows his son is interested in banging multiple dabo girls and which is perfectly natural however uh that dabo girl better not be interested in banging jake because that I don't know what the statutory rape laws are on Deep Space Nine, but uh, let's cool it, buddy. Well, and if you're about I, to blow up the quadrant, let your son get it, get his rocks off with the combo. <laughs> Come on, before you blow him up. I mean, that's true. If he is considering destroying the entire quadrant and all of the Federation and everything we've ever known, sure. <laughs> anyway, what the heck is going on? Uh, I, I love how, like, he begins with the right question and then completely dismisses it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, Dax runs into drunk Arjun at Quark's because, you know, that wasn't interesting enough. Let's go back to the drunk guy. Uh, and uh, he says, put me out of my misery. And she says, uh, hold on. I like you now. <laughs> yeah, we're fine. Uh, Jedzia, well, but I think this is interesting because Jensia says, you know, I was very similar to you when I met Curzon. He was terrible to her and he washed her out of the program. Um, but him doing that helped her finally figure out what she wanted. And she fought to reapply, which I believe is pretty rare 
um, to be able to get back into the program ever after having washed out, she finally had passion. And then she specifically requested Dax when Curzon was dying um, as a, as a, as a pretty big middle finger to, uh, to, to Dax there. But Dax like, like, yeah, sure. Uh, who has a, a wicked sense of humor and uh, enjoyed the irony. She says, I'm going to give you another chance, Sweeney, but you've got to figure out what you want. Cisco arrives and says, uh, we're going to try to take the universe back through the wormhole. And uh, she wants to, she decides, uh, life or death stakes, we're going to save the literal universe. Let's take the drunkest pilot in the universe uh, to go He's level and five, do this. Keith, level five. <laughs> I know. I, well, that's that's true. I mean, who knows? Maybe Romulan Ale steadies the hands. Oh, Brian's like, what? All right. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, sure. What's happening this week? I don't know. But let's use the big view screen again. Come on. Yep. I mean, that's so cool. So in Act Five, they beam the universe onto the runabout, and Arjun and Dax head to the wormhole. While they travel, the containment field starts to break down because uh, they keep mm. running into nodes. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to stop um, because if they run it anymore, they're going to uh, blow stuff up. So they're going to have to fly manually through the nodes. Good thing they have a fancy pilot named Arjun. Uh, cool visuals, though. Yeah, sure. So, well, I, I thought, like, for, 19, again, 1994 TV, I thought that looked amazing. Yeah. Um, devoid of any, so- devoid of literally any drama, suspense, or thrilling anything, but okay. Oh, I'm just talking about yeah, like literally visually, the screenshot's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, visually, cool. it's cool. I have no idea what's happening. Yeah, it's like, uh, a, it's so- like a Windows 7 screensaver. It, well, yeah, that's fair. Uh, so after some tight moments, they get through. Huzzah! He has to go manual, whatever. Who cares? They take the universe back to where it belongs. Like, where is that? We don't, don't no know. details necessary, Keith. Let's just get uh, that. That we got. We got eleven seconds. Go. So they get it over to the Gamma Quadrant. Like, isn't it gonna blow up the Gamma Quadrant? And he's like, no. Like, he's like, we got no. We, we there's no room. And she's like, oh, there's seventeen feet. And he's like, but we're only fourteen feet. And she's like, do it anyway. And he's like, okay, I see. Literally, there's a line that goes, I don't see it. I don't see it. I see it. <laughs> yeah, he sees it. Uh, so they tuck the universe back into the subspace interphase pocket. And then uh, through the poop chute, uh, they come uh, back. Pocket. Interphase pocket. Uh, all is well, and Dax says she may indeed recommend Arjun for joining someday. Uh, hooray. She has now individuated from Curzon. Her therapist is happy. Everybody's therapist is happy. Uh, but we have a lot to discuss uh, moving forward. But first, we have to do a famous vocab quiz, Mike. Uh, we sure do. And now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek vocabulary quiz. All right, Mike. I feel like your therapist can explain this to you. Mike, what is localized entropy? <sighs> well, Keith, when a man turns 40... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but wait a minute. That's not localized. This is one part of my body. Um, that's, that's it's all the struggle bus these days. Look, the entropy is all of me. I don't know. I, I wish I wish I were localized. I gotta be honest. I have no idea what's local. Is uh, it's the weakening of the field around the universe thing? I don't know. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> uh, 
All right, Keith, I think it's best we just skip the vocab quiz. Let's go home. Okay. Well, here we are back at Quark's. I could use some Romulan ale trying to sort through uh, all the things that happened and or didn't happen in here. But let's begin with some wormholes in the plot, Mike. Um. Um. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sort of like everything to do with the universe plot, I think mm -hmm. is fair to say. Yeah. It doesn't really make any sense. Uh, the the science, the the lack of stakes, the uh, how it got stuck there, where it came from, uh, anything. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's not that I I think it doesn't make sense because I I think that there there are ways to sort of Star Trek make sense all of this right mm -hmm. they. Uh, they run into a subspace pocket they were not expecting. They pick up this little goo, universe goo. It starts expanding. It's it's a little micro-universe. It has a different time frame. Whatever. Okay, subspace stuff's weird there. I get it. And they're, all the sort of machinations they do, like, oh, we, let's contain it. it. We'll have to crush it. Oh, shit, there's life in there. We have to put it back where it was. All, right, all, the, all of that sort of nominally makes sense. What doesn't make sense to me is the stakes element of it, like that they just treat it like it's nothing, and yet it's like gigantic, earth-shattering. Yeah, you remember back in season one when there was like we were meeting one of the first new species in the new quadrant, and there was like a, pages and pages of protocols as to how to like how right. to deal with new life and how to welcome right. them and all this stuff. And now we have a whole new universe and we're like, eh, I mean, we could squish it. That's like our, well, just, and, and then like, let me go talk to Jake. Like you're, like you said, there's no protocol here. Well, it's especially if you're, if you are making a decision, the consequences of one half of that decision is the annihilation of your quadrant. Right. That's absurd. Right. It's absurd that that just happens out of nowhere. And they, they, they don't, there are no stakes to that. There's no weight to that. No help. No nothing. We're talking about a Dabo girl. Like, what the hell? That's so I, I think it's it's less the Trek science of the proto-universe and the whatever and the subspace. Like, sure, whatever. I think it, it's an interesting idea. We sort of did that on Next Gen before. So it's a little bit of a retread. It's just undercooked. Um, it obviously, you know, you, we read from the production standpoint that they they moved away from it, but that's it's too big a thing to make your B story, right? If if you're not going to make that your A story, find another B story because I I get you're doing a metaphor about playing God and having you know like making these decisions and having consequences and other things. So that's we're doing that three times, right? We're doing that with the initiate, we're doing it with the Vols, we're doing it with the universe. Okay, I get sort of metaphorically what you're going for, but you have to like 
let it be real. <laughs> Each of those, the stakes for those have to be real. Otherwise it doesn't, this episode would have been so much better if it had just been the Vols, mm-hmm. right? And whether or not we kill the Vols or not, we're, we're Starfleet, we're working very hard to sort of humanely, like we try to move the Vols, whatever, we're not going to kill them, we're not going to not kill them, and then just have the stakes, have have stuff go wronger and wronger and wronger and, this, and, and force, box them into a corner, like we have to kill all of these things um, well, and I make think it's, that you know, be our ethical quandary, if that's your B story. I think that my feel is that, you know, they say in the companion here that they didn't think that they could make the when they were reading the script revisions, they didn't think they could make the universe, the ethics of the universe subplot make sense to the audience. Right. And I think this shows like an early show as good as the episodes have been an early show, not trusting their audience, not trusting their convictions, not quite understanding, like still feeling it out. And it sounds to me like from what I've heard and what I've heard you say is that as they go further, they start to f- trust the audience more and trust yeah. their scripts more. And I think this 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 just suffered from them not going for it, right? Them second guessing too much, and then and it, it's weaker for it. And the the problem with this is that it's not that the audience didn't get the ethical quandary of this; it's that they did didn't get the ethical yeah. quandary of it. Yeah. And like, well, what? Well, how are you? How can you treat it so nonchalantly? Yeah. Like, we get it; it's a really big deal. Uh, yeah. So that that was a mess. Um, you know, the Vol thing, which should have been the full B story. I got it, and and the, I, you know, I thought the the Dax emotional of it all made sense to me. So uh, let's talk about our best moment, then let's talk about the big big picture here. You know, I, honestly, I actually really loved the scene with Jake and Cisco. Uh, I'm not going to put it as my favorite, but I want to give it a shout out. It's completely out of nowhere. It's contextually uh, not even adjacent to the through line of through lines of the episode, but it was a well done scene. Their scenes are always really good, and I love his dadding. Um, my favorite scene, though, I think is. I, I do think it's the scene when he's not drunk at the bar anymore and she sort of explains her her whole thought process and she's giving him a second chance. And I think that scene is the most clearly written and most coherent. I think it's my favorite. Um, yeah, that, that's the best I can give you. You? Yeah, I... I... <sighs> I like, you know, I, I guess it's, it's sort of a, a comment about the whole thing. Like the the story that they're telling with Dax's relationship with Curzon and the sort of turn there. I I like that thematically. I like that as a character beat, understanding Dax more. However, the structure and you know, I can see that this was rewritten and rewritten and sort mm-hmm. of like panic written at the end because. The A to B to C of that story development is muddy in this. And so there's a lot of repetition of themes and conversations. There are sort of threads dropped there. It's it's just a... I like the story they're telling, but the way that they told it was pretty messy from a writing standpoint. You know, as, as, a, as a writer, like you... Every, when you write a scene, every sentence in that scene, every word has to mm-hmm. be necessary yeah. and it has to be moving your story forward. It has to be, you know, it's, it, it's a, it's a puzzle. 
right? It has to be absolutely. And then every subsequent scene has to be absolutely necessary. And there mm-hmm. can be no repetition. It has to be about we're 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 adding things, right? We're not we're not we're working vertically, not horizontally. And there was just a lot of like, oh, a little bit there, a little bit there, and then like, oh, say that again, but then like restate it mostly the same way, but change this little thing, and it was muddy. Well, you know, like there's the old thing called the sniff test, right? Like if you really want to know what's working in your, when you watch a cut of something, it, what's the sniff test? What make what has any emotional resonance whatsoever? So if I'm being honest, actually what I think the best moment, maybe not favorite, but the best moment of the episode is when we see Renee for five seconds and he delivers the mm. one line about, and it's clearly a, a parallel to him and people not understanding his species and us not understanding this yeah. new species. And when he says, we can't squish it like a bug just because we don't understand it doesn't make it real. That's, it rings the most true. It means the most. And it is a clear yeah. indicator that that's what the episode should have been. But uh, it's, <laughs> right. it's not the episode we got. So uh, no, that, I, I, no, I think you're right. I think yeah. you're absolutely right about that. Um, Right. So, all right. So, yeah. Let's 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 talk about this. Uh, all right. So, the the biggest the biggest flaw of this episode is, you know, th- not everything has to be shocking surprise or suspense or thrilling or whatnot. But the the problem here is that, bef- you know, and and it's also okay if an episode is paint by numbers. But if it's paint by numbers and you know all the numbers before the show even starts, that's not good. You know what I mean? Like there was no doubt at any point the second. Dax showed, she shows like disregard for this guy before it even starts. And you know exactly as soon as they say he's a good pilot, how the episode ends. Like, you know, right right away. And it does nothing. There are no twists, turns, and spinnies except for they introduce a gigantic science fiction plot 27 minutes into the episode, which then kind of withers on the vine and is unsatisfying in the way that it's handled and the stakes are. And it's not just that they're not handled. It's that they're handled completely antithetically by a cast we've come to know, right? We know how these people would would respond. Dax would want to. Dax and Bashir would want to study it. Uh, ben would want to like talk to Starfleet and talk to all these people and 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 gather counsel as to how he would. Re- but we don't get any of that. It's so flippant. You're like, what? It doesn't. Even, what? The Vol thing is like. There's some there's some levity to it, and I think there's some fun moments, but nothing. It's the whole thing just feels. Even the even the companion gave it a page. They're just like, yeah, no. And they say yeah. it. They're like, it just it, it didn't work, and it yeah. doesn't work. That's the long well, short of it. The I I I think that the the Dax story, which is the A story here, it is. It becomes a, the A story. That's the interesting thing in the script. It wasn't supposed to be, and they they right. rewrote it to make it the A story. That's whew. and and what it is is an interesting paragraph of backstory. But it's not a story, right? The entire journey that Dax... Well, Dax doesn't go on a journey here. All we do is sort of tell the audience that Dax went through this experience or that Jadzia went through this experience, which I think is fascinating. I think it's great. But there's no story here. There's no Mm -hmm. development. There's no A to B to C in what Jadzia did or what Dax did or what this guy did. Mm -hmm. Nobody actually does anything we just sort of fill in backstory and i think that's really where it fails right and we don't see people changing or trying different things now i think there's a good episode in this right the themes the ideas right i uh really resonate with the the young guy who has 
trying to live up to expectations have been, you know, have been encouraged, let's say, to succeed and be elite and do things that will bring the family pride or whatever. And finding yourself 25 years old and like, oh, wait a minute, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Like, I've been working so hard and I've been playing by all the rules, but I don't have any, but I'm missing the passion and the drive. And I don't know why I'm here. It's, it's me at opera school, right? Sure, I'm, sure. I'm exactly that guy. But he doesn't, the the finale of this episode isn't him showing that passion or drive. It just shows him, no. yeah, he can fly good. It doesn't, what? he doesn't overcome what? that challenge that is presented. And it seems like it focuses much more on Dax's uh, uh, obstinance than it does this guy's lack of anything, in my opinion. So I, well, I, and she I hear also, what you're saying, but that's not the episode presented. And that's like, I guess the, the, the turn for Dax is, or for Jedzia specifically, is I'm, I start really pissed off about how I was treated by Curzon for being this person, you know, mm -hmm. for, for being, for being the person who is just sort of doing it because I think I should, but I don't have any passion or fat passion or drive. And I hated him for putting me through that. And then she's like, Oh, wait a minute. I'm learning through this experience that maybe it wasn't all bad that he forced me to discover what I wanted and discover my passion. Right. That's sort of the story that they're telling there. But <sighs> Again, th there's no story in the plot of what happened. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. She doesn't do like this. We sort of get told that all of these things happened before and are happening now. But like her behavior isn't. No, nobody does anything. Yeah, it's and not great. It's a it's a it's an idea in search of a story. And uh, I love the idea. I just would have loved there have been a story there. Yeah, don't disagree. Um, and you know, and I, I think that they wrote his character, Arjun. And I don't, I don't think it's necessarily the the performer, um, but that character to me was very unlikable. I didn't like him ever. The, yes, I did not. Was not pulling for him. I didn't really. I was sort of. It was more apathetic than anything. I didn't dislike well, and, him. It was and, apathetic. And, and apathetic is exactly and, – and I get it, right? They're telling the story of a character who is apathetic. Yep. And that that's hard to do. I, I did it myself in my in the show that I wrote about myself, about my own apathy. <laughs> like I wrote a show about finding out what the hell I wanted to do with my life, right? And starting from that apathetic place. I totally get it. But I just – I was not drawn to this character. So therefore, I didn't really care. Yeah. I don't I don't care if he is successful or not. He doesn't care. Uh he just wasn't that nice of a guy. He wasn't that interesting. Yeah, I think eh. we share that. I mean, so if you disagree, and I would love to hear from anybody who yeah. really liked this episode more than us, because I'm giving it a four. Uh I just don't think there's anything there to I just it's not it's more that it's it's not losing stars because it's bad. It's just not gaining them because there's no episode for me. <laughs> well, and you know what it is? If you look at it in this, in today's context, what is he? He's bland, entitled white guy who has like had all the advantages and like, meh, I don't know. I'm just sort of here. 
and like I, everything's fine, everything's taken care of. Like I'm, yeah, I mean, given all these elite and you're things. right. And if there are five thousand people vying for those slots, then like, yeah, I guess she's got a point. Like, what the hell do you offer? Not much. Yeah, of course, he should be washed out. Yeah. He doesn't even want it. He doesn't give a shit. He's just sort of like hanging out. And yeah, no, yeah. he should hundred percent should be washed. This just in, Keith and I didn't like this. Well, Keith, what is your what is your <laughs> number? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna give it. So I said forty, right? That's what I said. Y- you said forty. I'm actually going to give it 62. Okay. Not based on the quality of the storytelling, mm-hmm. but based on the importance of the information, the backstory for Dax, right? They gave us good information, interesting information for Dax. We it got a ratio. We executed. got a percentage of how many people make it. That's what we got. 6%. 6 6 6% make it. That was in well, but but also her relationship with Curzon mm-hmm. and the sort of internal you saw conflict Dax and Atalki, has there. That's what it is. Let's be honest. That's the 50 <laughs> that's the 50 uh, Yeah, well, that's at least four and a half, right? Yeah. No. Hey, do you want to give uh, us some stars? You can do so at patreon.com/kandm. Uh Get one for your friends. Get a p- Patreon subscription for a month for your for your mom and dad. That's a that's a great stocking stuffer. So you can watch the last twenty minutes of Mike watching this bad episode and a, and a let's play. We keep promising and haven't done yet, but we are going to do it. We are one hundred percent going to do it. All right. So next week we are going to be discussing profit and loss. And Mike, I have good news moving forward. It gets better. This. This is the last stinker of season two. Ooh, girl. All right. So uh, we're buckle up. You know, it's it's uh, we're, we're on the upslope. We're on the upslope. So I'll take it. It is good news. I'll take it. All right, folks. Well, if uh, if you're still here, thank you very much. Please give us a like and subscribe. If you're listening to the podcast only audio version, God bless please you this give week. us a rating and review on whatever podcast uh, service you are listening to. I have to Frankenstein uh, check out other this shows. thing together. Oof. Yeah, Mike, Mike, I can feel Mike's soul dying for the editing he's about to have to do this afternoon. Uh, yeah, anyway, check out our other shows, uh, K&M Geekly, and uh, look at my Star Trek toys. I, I can't believe how hard it was for me to come up with the names of our two other shows that we do every week. Uh, till then, this has been... Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM.